Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of Community Services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect. But as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, presenting informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host. The library of all of the show episodes beginning from September 2019 can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and can be downloaded on popular podcast platforms. The show is also syndicated on the Voice America Influencers Channel. So please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. For those listeners who are in what I call SOS mode, stressed, overwhelmed, and stretched, I'll be launching a new free caregiver distress recovery challenge, helping caregivers find a path to bringing much needed self-care into their daily routine. It features Empathy, my registered trademark, which is also the basis of a self-care commitment letter and teaches strategies for my proprietary framework for self-care, self-kindness, self-compassion, and self-forgiveness. All strategies that will help you feel recharged and re-energized as you face life's challenges. Family members considering taking on the role of caregiver or those just beginning their caregiver journey can find valuable information in my course, A Caregiver's Guide to Caregiving the Basics. It will be available once again in the near future on a new platform. Watch out for information on the Senior Straight Talk homepage and at my website, phyllisaymanassociates.com. My latest book, Think Big, was released May 17th on Amazon. It features my story, my big vision about how to shift our ideas about aging and older adults and the value they have in our lives and in society. I'm honored to be included in this book alongside the iconic and legendary Brian Tracy, entrepreneur Bob Bodine, and many others. The book is published by Kyle Wilson, president of Jim Rohn International. So I hope you'll grab a copy on Amazon. The many stories included in the book can inspire and motivate you in your business and positively impact your own personal development and growth. My book, Dignity and Respect, Are Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve, is available on Amazon in both paperback and ebook formats. The book addresses critical information about how we care for and treat elder citizens in our families, our communities, in nursing homes, and assisted living residences across the country. I'm honored that Dr. Bill Thomas wrote the foreword for the book, so I hope you'll purchase a copy and encourage your friends and colleagues to do the same. I appreciate your support and hope you'll help spread the word on this all-important topic. Senior Straight Talk is proud of the collaborative partnership with the Pass It On Network, a global peer learning network for positive aging advocates and a member of the United Nations Open-Ended Working Group on Aging. Senior Straight Talk and the Pass It On Network continue bringing listeners informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And now 
I'd like to introduce today's guests. Two Marine Corps veterans who were determined to expose the inadequacies of care for veterans living with PTSD. These two veterans reunited 42 years after attending their Marine Corps basic officers training. When Lieutenant Colonel Ted Blickwadel shared his experiences as a counsel for veterans with Jerry Stravey, a published author, it was a natural connection that led to their book, Broken Promises. The story is compelling and heartfelt. And for me personally, the inadequacies of care for veterans is similar to the inadequacies of care for older adults in our nation's nursing homes, many of whom are also veterans. Lieutenant Colonel Blickwadel's story as a whistleblower is a rallying cry for anyone who sees the inadequacies of a system that needs change. I couldn't be more proud and honored to introduce Lieutenant Colonel Ted Blickwadel and Jerry Stravey as today's guests on Senior Straight Talk. Well, Jerry and Ted, I am so honored to be here with the two of you today and glad that you could take the time to be here with me. And um, I wanna say that it's an honor and I'd like to say that I wanna thank you for your service to our country. Um, it's really very special. And I actually am a little choked up um, talking to the two of you. And so I stumbled over my words in the beginning because I really am, uh, I really am feeling it. So thank you so much. And um, you know, I wanted to uh, start out by saying about the title of your book, Broken Promises, how it resonated with me because I come from this elder care space where people are broken and I feel that we've broken our promises to older adults. And the other part of it is that, you know, you talk about people being overworked and, and, and um, overwhelmed, I'd say, and this drive for productivity, I'll call it, right? And the, how quality of care suffers. And that's so similar to my experience in the elder care space and nursing homes. So I think, you know, I, I resonate with this or it resonates with me so much that um, I'm so glad to be talking with you about this subject because, you know, certainly our veterans deserve a lot better as you are both very passionate about. So um, who wants to start? You want to tell me about the book first or Ted, you want to tell me about what led to it? Because I think how the two of you came together is a fascinating story. Well, yes. Yeah, so what led to it was after I retired from the Marine Corps, I had worked at the uh, Warwick, Rhode Island Vet Center for nine years between 20, I should say 2009 and 2018. And during that time, around the last year or two that I was there, uh, they raised in increased visit count metrics on counselors and other additional administrative duties that were non-clinical really that we're starting to burn out counselors, you know, to a point where it's impacting our, our ability to provide quality care to veterans. And at that point, uh, you know, when it fell on deaf ears, I finally was forced at that point out of an ethical obligation, I felt to uh, report this um, first within the chain of command. And when that failed to work, then I readdressed it through the chain of command, but this time through an email uh, infoing everybody in the country 
um, about it counselors in the system and to open up the dialogue. And at that point, um, you know, there was uh, retaliation against me starting out with shutting down my computer. And when I left the vet center, still an employee on terminal leave being threatened, you know, not to come back. If I did, the police would be called, you know, and so on. And, and so, you know, over the, the term of the last four years, I also ended up having local and national media interviews about this whole issue and the retaliation and, and the issues and, and ended up um, seeing my congressional delegate staff where I provided supporting documentation to this. And it all ended up with a GAO investigation by my center in Rhode Island um, that was launched uh, with the GAO that validated my allegations. And this led to legislation that um, called the Vet Center Improvement Act to take care of these issues to protect quality care for veterans and the well-being of counselors in the system. And it's currently going through the legislative process and hopefully will be voted on by the end of the fiscal year. And, in, and while this was all, all unfolding, Jerry and I, although uh, we never knew each other right, at the time. I, right. I want to stop you right. before you go on. I don't want to interrupt you, but just for the listeners, I want to uh, explain that GAO stands for the Government Accountability Office. Accountability Office. Right, because we, you know, in, in my space, in your space, there are so many acronyms and terms we throw around. Right. Sometimes people say, what the heck are they talking about? What are all these letters right. and terms? So I just wanted to clarify for listeners who might not know what the GAO is. I know right. the GAO because they're, the, the Government Accountability Office has done many studies about nursing homes, uh, none of which have improved this situation. So in, in a way, it kind of mirrors what you're talking about to a certain degree. Yeah, so, so anyway, Jerry and I happened to be in the basic school after boot camp in Quantico um, about 42 years ago, 1979, 1980. We were in different platoons, although the same company didn't know each other at the time, but we had a reunion last year and you know, we, you know, caught up after 41 years of not seeing each other, really knowing each other at the time. And you recognize and Jerry, each other after 41 years? <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, so uh, Jerry being a published author and us talking about my story, you know, he, he was saying that, you know, you know, we really need to write a book about this. It's really uh, impactful and it need, that the story needs to be heard. And, um, and so last June, uh, we started this process and here we are a year later and the book's already been released in just a, a year's worth of time. And, and, uh, and, and of course, Jerry also, I think, has some things he can comment on in terms of, uh, you know, what it meant for him and why he wanted to take this on, Jerry, if you wanted to make yeah, it. Absolutely. Um, I just think it's a, a terrific story. You know, I, I always say uh, timing is a heck of a thing, right? Um, things happen when they're supposed to happen. I believe in synchronicity. And so obviously it was the time, the right time, the right place. And, uh, you know, that kind of uh, gave birth to this, this project and this book, but not all, more than that, to bringing awareness to the point where hopefully there will be a change and there will be a change in legislation, which will impact the delivery of care and the experience for our veterans. So yeah, uh, Ted and I um, clicked immediately and uh, started working together on the book. And I, 
I'm not sure exactly why that is, but I think part of it is, I think we're both driven and we basically had the best service. It was not, the book wasn't there to be written to condemn, but to enable people to um, uh, not have to face this sort of challenge again with the compromised mental health care. So I think our spirit, what we wanted from the very beginning was uh, very altruistic, um, very altruistic, but at the same time being uh, facing some very, very, very tough situations Ted has experienced and then having to relive them. And my um, interviewing uh, a lot of the veterans and some of the counselors and what have you, I think it's like 30 of them I interviewed. Quite an experience and quite an impact. And one of the things that Ted identified um, kind of surprised me in a way, but he's pretty um, tuned into this sort of thing is when we were first getting started, I told him the story about how my family had suffered um, physically, uh, uh, medically from some botched up situations in the military healthcare system mm. and had affected my life long-term. I ended up being a long-term care, uh, a long 24 hour caregiver for one of my children for 23 years um, mm. because of some issues that took place in medical care. So Ted says, I think this is why you're here. He says, I think this is why you have internalized what's going on here. And I think this is why you get what I'm trying to do here. And then we've been a pretty, really solid team ever since. That's terrific. Uh, I believe it was Judge Brandeis who said, sunlight is the best disinfectant. So, <laughs> right? The only way that you can really uh, affect change, there has to be awareness. You have to face it, right? You have to accept face it you have to have be aware of it you have to expose it so that's what the two of you have done in this phenomenal project and i'm sure it was um you know ted do you want to talk a little bit about some of your military experience i know it, it, it i can only imagine that it must have been somewhat difficult to kind of relive that as you were involved in this project is that true well, that's interesting you bring that up because I was in Desert Shield, Desert Storm in, in the Persian Gulf War. And, um, you know, the, the things I experienced, I mean, I didn't have any direct, you know, confrontational, you know, fights with the enemy or anything like that. Um, however, there were just, you know, certain traumatic things that, you know, you you go to, you know, one area to another as you're moving forward in the in the theater of operations and, and seeing, you know, mass graves and dead bodies of Iraqi soldiers strewn about, you know, and, you know, at a time when you're crossing the, um, the breach into Kuwait, it's dark as, as night, even though it's one o'clock in the afternoon because of the burning oil fields. And, mm. you know, they had to clear a chemical minefield uh, before we trans you know, before we, we went uh, into Kuwait, uh, right in the path that we were on. So here you are in your Mach 4 gear, you know, wondering if you're going to be hitting any chemical mines, not all of them being cleared, and you can barely see your hand in, in, in front of your face. And, you know, there's so there's, yeah, there was, you know, uh, life, you know, threatening kinds of, of things that were being perceived at the time that, you know, certainly was traumatic. And, you know, but yet at the same time, you know, when I went through what I went through uh, with this V advocacy effort and, and the vindictiveness, you know, of the retaliation, um, you know, was so severe that initially I had, um, you know, a lot of anger and depression because of what they were doing to me and how they were treating me to the point where 
I ended up because of that emotional state being sedentary as I'm preparing, you know, documents for, for uh, my grievances with federal agencies, I developed an embolism, which, you know, clotting in my family as blood tests determined is not something I have proclivity to. And I almost died from an embolism because of all this and had to get back on my feet, recuperate from that, do some self-care things over the, the last few years to build up my resilience and go through my own process of spiritual and emotional healing from that in ways that, frankly, it was more traumatic for me than, than and any combat experience I had. That I can tell you. Now, because, I'm, I'm going to interrupt talk about something, Ted, that I learned about Ted when I was interviewing some of the people. Um, I interviewed a lot of counselors and a lot of vets. And one of the things, and we talk about this in the book, that the veteran said was, Ted got it. Ted understood what was going on. Ted had walked in my shoes and Ted knew how to figure out what I needed and was always there for me. These are guys who several of them have stayed in touch with Ted over the last two years, but Ted was so tuned in and certainly from his experiences and in, in, in things similar to what they've been through, equipped him to be effective. And so I can't think of anybody who was probably better situated than Ted to when he saw these mandated policy changes that came out to identify them, internalize them, and charge forward with it. I don't, we're just lucky Ted was there to find it and, 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 and expose it for what it was. And you know, I, I heard I, that over and over from the other, the vets that I interviewed. I love, I love the uh, phrase that you just used, which was charge forward because I think that is a, a military type of spirit, right? To, to charge forward. And that's what you're, you're doing with this is, is charging forward. And that is probably not only who you are personally, but who you are as military men, right? To charge, there's only one way. You, you have to charge yeah. forward, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that phrase just really popped out at me about charging forward. But I just want to address one thing that Ted just said about how your health, because I don't think people realize the, um, the effect that stress and depression and anxiety has on your health and well-being. So in a way, I'm glad you brought that up because it's something that I talk about a lot. I have a a course and I have a word that I trademarked and it's all about self-care and um, how important it really is for our well-being. And I think especially, you know, as, as people want to move forward in life um, on a journey that extends out year in their years, uh, it, it becomes even more important to shore up their health and well-being. So I'm glad in a way that you brought that up, even though uh, that, must have been a harrowing experience. And I told the two of you this yesterday, because when you talked about they shut off your computer and all this, of course, my experience is nowhere near what you experienced. I'm not even trying to put it in the same category. But I did tell you that after I wrote my first book, and I was called to do some work in a nursing home to cover, they knew who I was. And uh, somebody called me who knew me for many years. And I heard that she wanted to see me. I thought she wanted to say hello. And she said, oh, they don't want you here because you wrote a book and it's on Amazon. And 
So, I, I mean, and that's only a small experience compared to what, what you've experienced. So I can only imagine having the weight um, of the, mili- you know, of the, the veterans or the military, whoever was, was on you, right? I, I can't even imagine what that must have been like, because I know what that little experience was like for me. But I need to, to caveat that with just one example of something that happened as recently as 15 months ago as part of this retaliation and, and how cruel and vindictive this was, if you can imagine. Um, March 9th of, of 2021, I go to the vet center. I hadn't been there in three and a half years to drop off a memorial donation for a fallen comrade, a counselor who had died, who was also um, a, um, a Navy nurse in the Vietnam era. And my, my director wasn't even there that day. And yet uh, she ended up filing fraudulent uh, charges and innuendos that were totally, totally false in order to get a no trespass order placed against me through the VA police and then through the local township. And, and uh, they'll make the long short of it. You know, it just drudged up a whole bunch of stuff, triggered things just from that act. It was defaming my character. I didn't deserve it. It was totally unwarranted. And, and the long short of it was I had to hire a legal firm that uh, eventually successfully had the no trespass order rescinded because of, of what we put together with statements from counselors I worked with at the vet center that showed that what she was claiming in, in that report was totally, totally false. And they were hiding evidence because I couldn't even get a copy of the report until I got a lawyer um, and through the back door got a copy of it. They refused to give it to me, even of the, the Freedom of Information Act, claiming that things were under investigation. When in fact, they never, they never um, came to talk to me and they never interviewed other counselors. So it was you know, a, a pretty uh, underhanded uh, thing to do. And that certainly, you know, uh, was, was very hurtful and, and kind of drudged things up again. And I had to, to work through that process as well. I'm sure you did. So we're going to take a short break on Senior Straight Talk. And then we're going to come back because I want to um, I want to talk about that a little bit more about, uh, you know, where that comes from. I mean, you're a veteran and um, and yes, they're not treating veterans properly, giving them the care that they're supposed to receive. And I've experienced some of this in nursing homes. Right. Um, Because there are many veterans in nursing homes. And, um, you know, why you think that would be? I mean, it, it sounds like it, you know, intuitively people might get it, but then, you know, they're veterans about veterans. And then people would say, well, why is that? So we're going to take a short break on Senior Straight Talk, and we'll be right back with Ted and Jerry. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the host at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. I'm here with Lieutenant Colonel Ted Blickwadel, 
and Jerry Stravey, Jerry Stravey, Stravey? Stravey. Stravey, okay. I told you before we started that as a speech pathologist, it's very important for me to get people's names right. Not only because people need to know that their names are said correctly, but as a speech pathologist, it's like, if I can't pronounce someone's name correctly, um, that's not so cool. <laughs> I think it's a reflection on me as a professional. But I also want to pronounce people's names properly because it's who they are. So um, I have this question and we talked about it a little bit in the break. And that was, um, you know, what you think drove the, um, this branch, I'll say, of government, because we're talking about the Veterans Administration, when you came to them, um, Ted, with, with this information and were exposing the ills, let's say, of the care or lack thereof that veterans were receiving, why do you think, I mean, this is veterans about veterans. Why do you think they came, quote unquote, at you in that way? Because they had uh, arbitrarily instituted a policy of what they wanted to have as performance metrics for counselors without, you know, really getting any feedback from anybody in the field. And ironically, what had happened is they had actually formed a working group made up of vet center directors and counselors to do a, uh, a uh, clinical capacity study. At the end, and this was around the end of 2015 and early 2016, they presented this to uh, RCS, to the vet center program management in DC. And basically in that report, it echoed the very things I'm saying. And yet it totally got disregarded and they went ahead with what they wanted to institute anyway. So they were basically, you know, very adamant about that they're going to implement this policy and anything. And for whatever reason drove that, I actually don't know why they came up with that policy or how they did, but it contradicted what a clinical capacity report said would damage, you know, counselor welfare as well as uh, uh, quality care for veterans. So, um, at that point, you know, when they came out and, and started enforcing this, it was just something they decided to do. This is what the big engine of the bureaucracy was going to do. And anybody that was going to speak up against that, even though it may be unethical, what have you, they were going to, you know, silence and, and uh, silence them in any way they could uh, in order to go ahead with their agenda. To mm. them, you know, it seemed like the consequences to them didn't matter because it wasn't just me that was speaking up about this. There was other counselors throughout the system as well. So Jerry, you gave a little history about how this all, um, how this program came about. Do you want to talk about that just a little bit? And then we had an interesting dialogue here and we talked about really the insurance company model and how that was applied to, to this program. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, I thought it was really fascinating when I heard the story. It was almost like too good to be true because everybody got together and made magic happen. And what I'm referring to is after the Vietnam War, there were a lot of veterans seeking uh, treatment and mental health treatment uh, I'm speaking to specifically. And they were encountering a very, um, well, the behemoth, which is the Vet Veterans Administration, the hospital and system and what have you. And they just weren't getting the care they needed. It wasn't personal. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, taking hold. There was, wasn't was going on. So someone came up with an idea. I don't know who it was. Ted probably does. Uh, let, why don't we create uh, intimate 
local settings where the uh, veterans can be treated in a home-like environment. So they would set up like, you know, small, you know, offices, maybe 10,000 square feet, whatever, but it just depends on the uh, venue. And the um, veterans could come in and get treatment with the counselors. And the counselors were also a product of the same time period in the same, you know, uh, theater uh, and had many of the same experiences. So they were, the veterans are being treated by other veterans who are very familiar with the situation. The management staff, same thing, came from the same group of guys, okay, and women. And they built a really strong organization that was very receptive, very personal, very professional, and got results. And it was because it was people who had been there, done that, helping people who had been there, done that. Well, over time, a lot of these people started aging out. And even though the um, program was opened up for the different ensuing military campaigns we had, like the Iraqi war and whatever, um, fewer and fewer counselors um, had, had the experiences that a lot of their clients had had. And the management team, you know, the same thing, we just started aging out. So you lost that, that special specialness about the organization. And it got to the point, and from what I can tell, the um, management team couldn't relate to what was going on in the field because they hadn't come from the same background. They also were looking to, I think, for whatever reason, they made some changes. They looked at the insurance companies and the insurance companies don't allow but 50 minutes for most treatments. And Ted and the guys that I interviewed uh, told me how Ted would spend maybe a half hour, maybe 45 minutes, but more often not, maybe an hour, hour and a half or longer, or whatever it took to meet the vet at their, what their needs, at their needs. Right. And we, so- We call that person-centered caring. Personal, very good. And so anyway, they came out with a mandate and it didn't work. And like I said earlier, uh, fortunately, Ted was there to uh, sound the alarm. And I'm sure a lot of other guys did too, but nobody took it to heart like Ted did, but it just compromised the care and it compromised the care. And there's, a, you can come up with a whole re lot of reasons. We can speculate what the whole um, motivation was, but we do know what the reality was. Right. So, and Ted, you said something interesting that some veterans as, as the uh, dynamics change and the personnel change some, and I had a, a question about that, although you, weren't exactly sure why, but some veterans really wanted to speak with other veterans and then others, it didn't matter or they didn't want to. And why do you think that might be? I mean, I'm thinking for myself that I that somebody would understand me better if they kind of walked in those shoes. Well, I think for most combat veterans, that's true. Seeing other veterans was very helpful. Um, and, and for some, and I talked to others, um, that weren't even my clients. It's, it didn't matter to them where they had a military counselor or a civilian counselor. It didn't matter to them. And there was a, a few minority of cases, very rare. And I, I was even a little surprised, but there were there were very like two or three maybe over the years that actually said, you know, they they would rather not have uh, a counselor that had been in the military and never really got into any discussions as why that was. Hmm. Yeah, I just thought that was curious because. In most um, 
supportive settings in most, right? Whether it's uh, an anonymous group, like an addictive anonymous group um, or other support settings, usually people appreciate being around people who have had that similar experience because they feel like they can relate to them um, and, and what they're going through. And also, I, I just wanted to, to point out, you know, something that Jerry said before about, you know, uh, personalized care and, and giving people the time they need, you know, uh, just, you know, as a, as a caveat to what he was saying about that, but what happened when these metrics change and the visit counts increased, this kind of precluded from being able to do that and give the time to more, uh, you know, to veterans more time when it came to crisis management, uh, conventional evidence-based interventions for PTSD that oftentimes required more than 60 minutes to actually implement. And, and that was prohibitive with these visit counts. And so it puts you in, a, in an ethical dilemma as, at this point as to, you know, do I you know, give these veterans, you know, the, the quality care they need? In some cases, this, this came up. And or do I you know, produce the numbers they want in order to protect my job? Because when this whole thing started, you know, they had uh, HR actions that they were publicizing about, you know, basically, you, you know, you're, you're going to be going to, through an HR action if you didn't meet these metrics. And, mm -hmm. and people were afraid they were going to lose their job. So do I produce the numbers to save my job or at times when someone needs, you know, more time, do I give it to them and give them the individualized care they need or, or not? So, so I think that was important to point yeah. out. So I'm, I'm curious about that because the Veterans Administration isn't a for-profit organization. So why right. would those metrics, those productivity metrics, be so important? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about it and comparing it kind of to the, the industry that I'm in, but that's most of the places where I've worked and that I know are for-profit. So obviously profit drives as Jerry said before, you know, part of that was because of the, the HMOs and trying to mimic what they were doing on the outside, because this, this exists outside the VA. Yes, and absolutely. So there's people that aren't, there's people that aren't counselors and people that aren't, aren't clinicians and people that aren't licensed to practice to come in in positions of leadership. They're looking at all this stuff and deciding, oh, we need to look like this to look like we're par with what they're doing outside to give us legitimacy and credibility, but at the same time, they don't realize the unintended consequences, not being a professional in the field doing the work, the harm that this was gonna cause, you know, with building trustful relationships with these veterans, being able to give them the individualized care, how this was gonna compromise quality mental health care, and in the process, basically harm uh, counselor welfare because of the stress this put put under uh, put uh, counselors under, you know, damaging their welfare to the point where they've got a problem with a high turnover rate. You know, I know counselors that were telling me from all over the country, you know, uh, when, as we kept in touch about this, how they were going on medication, seeking their own therapy, uh, looking for other employment because they just didn't want to be part of a dysfunctional organization that was doing this. And this is why I had retired earlier than I had anticipated by three years. So I'm, I'm curious because I have, there are many veterans in nursing homes. Um, I have encountered veterans who are there probably related to PTSD. 
uh, because <clears throat> there's nothing else visible and they're ambulatory and then it's not like they have any other physical impairments. So um, there are many, I'm sure. And, um, and I'm thinking even about the aid in attendance benefit because a lot of veterans in nursing homes and their spouses, families don't even know what benefits they're entitled to. Uh, so do you think, I know there's greater visibility about these kinds of programs for veterans, but do you think overall that most veterans are aware of the programs that are available to them that can address their PTSD or other issues they have related to their combat experience? That is very interesting because what really blew me away in my times at the vet center. And I realized, you know, the Vietnam War, when I started working at the vet center, uh, the Vietnam War had been over by, um, geez, at least 35, you know, 30, 35 years, 35 years, perhaps at that point, I started working there. And, and I was amazed with the outreach that had been done, how many veterans did not ever know about the vet center program um, it, it was amazing. And, and I think part of it too, is some people didn't want to even do have anything to do with the VA the way it used to be because they had bad experiences in the past. Right. So they, you know, weren't in a position to give it, you know, a, another chance until by word of mouth, oh, another Vietnam veteran, you know, was telling them, oh yeah, I go there. It's great. You know, this and that. Well, then they figure, okay, well, they'll go ahead and try it. You know, so, so you had those kinds of things that were going in with the dynamics and, you know, there's a lot of treatment interventions that, that uh, the VA, you know, in particular with energy psychology interventions to deal with, with trauma that's, that's very effective and more effective from what the research is beginning to show with other uh, evidence-based uh, interventions, these things need to be incorporated into the VA. And unfortunately that's been a very slow process as well. Yeah, I, I'm thinking how much uh, of the budget if, if you know, you might not know the answer to this, but how much of the budget is allocated? I don't mean dollars and cents, but percentage wise. I know I've spoken to um, someone, actually I had him on the podcast, I think it was a couple of years ago, who does work with families uh, and veterans for the aid and attendance benefit. And he said the amount of money that hasn't been paid out to people that to which they are entitled is in the billions hundreds of billions of dollars yeah it's it's um it's definitely scores of billions how much exactly i don't know but it's it's definitely in the billions yeah and and in fact the, the congressional budget office just came back with an estimate on the cost which i didn't get the number of yet that it would take to implement the vet center improvement act to do the things they need to do. Because one of the things I was, was stressing is get more counselors and quicker, you know, to reduce the uh, the heavy caseloads. And this is something that was also looked at and addressed in the legislation itself. So, and I think it's important for us to bring out that even assuming that this legislation does pass, that this is not something that people think a legislation passes and then something happens tomorrow because it doesn't go like that. It takes long time. There might even be additional studies. I mean, it's really kind of crazy how this stuff um, goes, happens, right? So uh, what is the time frame, assuming that it does pass, 
and let's hope that it does. Uh, now, let's say it passed at the end of this fiscal year, the end of September of, okay. of 2022. Now what happens is the VA has one year after the passage of the legislation to get their ducks lined up to implement the kinds of things. The anonymous surveys and electronic database that can't be altered, establish the working group that will look at this and make you know, um, recommendations to the VA secretary. And, um, and if the VA in fact is abiding by the legislation and, and assuming that were to happen, here we're already talking one year by that time. Now they go to implement it. Well, now you get into the second year after the bill is passed. Now it, everything's being implemented. They're getting the feedback. They're doing this. So by the third year after the legislation is passed, assuming things go smoothly in, in, in that timeline, then things you know start to change. They have to start abiding by the recommendations that are being made which, with GAO and congressional oversight. So the impact of that may not even be felt for a few years. Right. To be, to be you know, realistic about it. I mean, and that's after the legislation passes. So, you know, the, the issue is what about all the veterans that are still left in this situation until things improve, right? Well, there is something that I just recently became aware of that's a free service to veterans and if I and it's it's called um, I believe it's called the stresssolution.org. Um, I would have to double check that, um, but there's there is a service out there that provides free evidence-based energy psychology interventions to veterans that are still struggling with PTSD, and these interventions get get results quicker. They're longer lasting. And it's something that a veteran can actually learn to use with on themselves. And at times they need to clear something or process something. So the word is starting to get out about that. And so the more of that kind of thing starts to happen, um, you know, veterans may turn to those, those kinds of, um, of um, you know, resources in order to, to deal with it. Unfortunately, so it's not widely publicized. So yet. before we go, I just wanted to say, how can people get the book? And if anybody listening wants to get in touch with you or find out about more about the services that are available to them in the area where they live, how would they uh, go about that? So first, let's talk about the book. Yeah, Jerry, can... would you like to comment on, on, on that? Okay. Um, well, the best thing to do is go to the website, dabreakingpromises.com. And again, I think you're going to have that up. I hope you do. So it's the yeah. VA breakingpromises.com. A lot of information there. You can order the book there. You will also see the uh, areas where you can contact uh, Ted and or I to um, for more information to speak or you know get in front of organizations, talk about it. Um, so then of course it's available on Amazon and the ebook is available on Amazon. The paperback is available. Oh my gosh, it's on Amazon, it's uh, Borders, it's uh, probably anywhere that you want to get a book. You can find it because it's distributed that way. And does that answer all your questions? Uh, yeah, and, and is there, if would you want people to get in touch with you in any way or is there? Oh, absolutely. Um, Ted and I have talked a lot about this and part of our goal with writing the book that we knew it would be the beginning 
of reaching out and trying to help people. So I know both Ted and I are very interested. And again, if you go to the website, you can find it. Uh, and again, be glad, be very glad to help out. But one thing I wanted to bring up before this is over, the impact on counselors, the impact on their families, the impact on the veterans, the veterans' families was huge. I would like to recommend that when you have an opportunity or your readers have an opportunity to read the book, they take careful note of quotes, anonymous quotes we have in there. Ted, I forgot what chapter is that in? Um, that would be chapter 18. Yeah. And so if nothing else, read that chapter. It will bring to life what we've been talking about. And it will also show the heroes that exist in the organization, such as Ted, that have brought this thing to the fore. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Um, I'm getting choked up again. <laughs> I'm not at a loss for words that often. It's only a couple of times. Uh, but this is uh, the beginning and the end. I'm in the same place. So twice in one episode is is a pretty big deal because most people can't shut me up. <laughs> <laughs> There's one person in particular, I won't say his name. Um, uh, people listening to this probably wouldn't know him, but I've had him on the podcast several times, but I, uh, he's like a personal hero of mine. And um um, when he says certain things, I'm just speechless. So <laughs> that, that's uh, one person that I can think of that really does that. So um, you, you guys are, um, I think, I don't we can know. We ourselves among uh, the select. I, I, I don't know if you're on par with him or now above him. I don't know. <laughs> I won't tell him that. But. <laughs> but anyway, thanks so much. And um, I think we talked about possibly doing this again close to July 4th. So that's something that we can talk about if, if you'd like to, and um, if there are other issues or um, situations or that you'd like to bring to the forefront of the conversation or other, you know. I think one thing that we want to consider is Ted has got some really good information on, all, on methodologies for helping veterans. Oh, that would be great. For the practical use. I think that would probably be the most important thing we could do. And I think we should also talk about whistleblowers of America and the services they provide. Things like this don't happen with that kind of support. And um, or something else, but that's two things. Okay, so we'll put that on the agenda for the next episode around July 4th. That sounds great. If you guys are up for it, so am I. Perfect. Well, sounds good to me, Phyllis and Jerry. Thank you for you know, suggesting. I think that was... A good, a good call. I, I agree. So thanks so much to Lieutenant Colonel Jerry Blickwadel. I mean, uh, Ted Blickwadel. See, now I made a mistake because I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm really, I'm really getting choked up. And, and, and Jerry and Ted, and Stravey. Ted Stravey and Jerry Blickwadel. Yes. <laughs> we yeah. can do that. Listen, you, you could do some combination thereof. You know, you might start to meld together in some way, shape, or form and become. We've already done that. We already have. I haven't. I haven't. Blickstravy. Believe me. Yes. Ted and Jerry Blickstravy. Right? Yeah. Blickstravy. There you go. Okay. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much. It's just really been an honor to be here with the two of you today. And please join me on the next episode of Senior Straight Talk. 
uh, bringing more informative conversations to the senior years of our lives. And I'm Phyllis Amin signing off for today. And please remember to like, click and share the episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.